Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians. It's easy for me to say. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 through 11. We continue our series in word and power uh, through 1 Thessalonians. We only have this week and next week left in 1 Thessalonians, I believe. Thank you. Yep, right? And then we start 2 Thessalonians. A Confident Stand is our series for 2 Thessalonians. You'll be hearing more about that in the next week or two as we prepare for it. Um, it'll, of course, be a part of your, your readings during the week. In Word and Power, this week, Upright, Not Uptight, verses 1 through 11 of chapter 5. Upright, Not Uptight. But we'll get to that in just a minute. Let's do our memory verse for this week. Ooh, there are more blanks. And I can tell you next week, there's only going to be one word up there, when we, and it's the starting word. I'll just go ahead and give it away now because I always need the starting word. I'm like, oh, four, yeah, maybe. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full assurance 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 through 5. We kind of mumbled and moaned through that a little bit. Like, your mouth was moving, you were, you were making noise, but they weren't really words. Let's try it again. Let's go back. Yeah. Oh, good. Thank you. You anticipated that. One more time. For we know, brothers and sisters, that he has chosen, I love by God, sorry, that he has chosen you. For our, God, I did much better the first time. Let's try it again. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full assurance. 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 through 5. All right. Study up next week, uh, this week, because next Sunday is the big test. You get, one, you get your starting word, and that's it. All right, small celebrations this week. Uh, our leader treks, if you saw, I had a 6.3-second interview on uh, KPLC at some point this week. It was actually much, more, much less about me and much more about leader treks coming and what our uh, teams of youth have, have done in the past and will do this summer uh, as we host these mission groups from all over the country. We are having, we've got nine weeks of leader treks, I believe. Somebody nod if that's right. Eight weeks of leader treks. Is like a gap week somewhere in there like it was last week? Okay, uh, last year? Okay. Eight weeks of groups coming to do all sorts of missions projects all over the, the, the area. One of the things we know they're doing every week, I believe, is a backyard Bible club at, or a, a short VBS, however you want to call it, whatever you want to call it, at Pepper Mill Apartments, just uh, south of I-10 on Beglis. Um, we also have gotten multiple phone calls and emails 
since that little spot on KPLC about needs that, that are, are beginning to come in. So we're trying to get those forms out to people so they can fill them out. So let me take this time to tell you that if you have uh, needs at your home that uh, these groups could take care of, fill out a form. Amy, do we have those at the Connection Center or can we get some at the Connection Center? Okay, uh, well, if you want one after church, just see Amy. She's going to get them out of her office uh, at the uh, end of the service, and you can fill one of those out, and then we will assess. You, you may have a need that is too much for students to do. That's fine. We send people out to assess the, the work that needs to be done and decide, all right, can 15, 20 youth do this, or is, is there more, or is there some prep work? That all, that all is taken care of. So you fill out the form if you have the work, and, and we'll go from there. Um, so we're excited about that. They get here. Uh, the leaders get here the first, the last week in May. Uh, nope, first week in June. Um, it's being a whole much, a whole bunch better if uh, Amy would just tell you all this. I'd, but you know, I got my owner, so I, I see this or this. So no, I'm right or wrong. You know which one goes with which. Um, Anna, if you remember her from being on the team last year, she is the team leader this summer. Uh, Olivia is moved up as well. She's like at the home office or whatever, and then Anna will be the, the team leader uh, this year. So we're excited to have them back. Uh, other small celebration, I don't think it's that small. I, don't, I actually don't think any of these are small celebrations, but it's just little things that happen that we learn about during the week. Last Sunday, we had our highest attendance since December 8th of 2019. That is impressive. The, we are beginning to overcome the pandemic, overcome the hurricane. Um, folks are beginning to come back to church. We had a number of guests last week that we were excited to see, but God is continuing to bless, continuing to, to do things and, and, and bring about change in our church. You can clap for that. I don't mind that one bit. As a matter of fact, uh, y'all too. So, First Thessalonians, I started to say First Thorinthians, just so you know, that's what was in my head, Thorinthians. I created a new city in Greece. First Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11, upright, not uptight. This passage is not about timing, just like chapter 4, verses 13 through 18 were not about timing, this passage is not about timing. The gospel that came in word and power was meant, at least in part, to provide hope for the future, not, and hear that, provide hope for the future, not create worry about antichrists or microchips or cashless societies. That was not the purpose of Paul's message here. So he's not trying, uh, he's not worried about timing in this passage. This passage is a call of believers to righteousness, not to fear or dispute. One of the biggest uh, negatives of things like left behind books, I'll start to ask how many read those books, I'm not going to... Um, 
I read them, nearly every one. I think about after the 48th book, I got a little tired of it and, and stopped. But uh, I read a whole bunch of them. Um, the, the, the imagery that's created, certainly by Revelation, but those who would in, interpret Revelation or explain Revelation for us, the, the end result and the worst result of all of that is the, is the fear that it creates among Christians. There, if, if perfect love drives out fear, then we as believers should not be fearful of the end. And in any interpretation of the book of Daniel or the book of Revelation, there should not be the result of fear for the believer. If that's the case, we are A, interpreting it wrong, or B, hearing it wrong. Because that's not the purpose. It's never the purpose. It is always the purpose of hope. It is the purpose of victory in Christ. And in this case, in Paul's case, in 1 Thessalonians, the purpose is to call believers to righteousness. It actually fits with... Uh, chapter 3, verse 12, through chapter 4, verse 12, as a call toward Christ-like living. Paul is continuing that. This passage goes better with that section than verses 13 through 18. 13 through 18 was that comfort that he was giving. Yes, it's going to happen, but but don't worry about it. As a matter of fact, in verse 18, therefore encourage one another with these words. Encourage. Is it encouraging to, to create fear in another believer? That's not encouragement. So if that is what we end up with when we come to Scripture, we are reading it wrong. We want to be upright, not uptight. So let's see what Paul has to say for us. In verses, five, uh, verses 1 through 11 of chapter 5. About the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. When they say peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. Let me emphasize that. Them like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, church, you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark for this day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake and be self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled and put on the armor of faith and love and a helmet of the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. We see here clearly what Paul's emphasis is. If we read it for what Paul is saying and not what we hope to get out of it or what, what we hope to understand from it. He first writes about the uptight ones, those who should be uptight about the coming 
time. Now he uses this phrase, times and seasons, to be intentionally vague. See, this whole time and season is used a handful of times in the New Testament and in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. I think it's once in the Old Testament. And every time it's used, it is this vague, nebulous idea of, of, of sort of a, a who knows. It's the times and the seasons. It's, it's when it's going to happen. It's, it's whenever. Paul is really, if, if, if he were, you know, if I'm going to say that Jesus said sup, I'm going to go ahead and say Paul was saying about the times and seasons. Meh. Psh. Who knows? I mean, Jesus is coming back. All right, we got that part. We know that. But the rest of it, meh. And he goes into who should be concerned about it. It's a lot of them, and it's a lot of they. But it's not you. It's not y'all. About the times and seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need anything to be written to you. I, I, we already talked about this, y'all. That's what he's saying. When, when I was there, we went through this. That the, the time of Jesus' coming back is a joyful time. It is something to look forward to. It is something to anticipate, to hope for, not something that we are fearful, A, that we will miss, B, that we, if we read certain passages certain ways, accidentally get something that keeps us from being a part of that. Y'all, to get that out of your head, he says. You know about this, the, 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 about the times and the seasons we've talked about. I don't even have to write anything to you, but I will. You yourselves know, verse 2, very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. He introduces this idea of night and day, light and uh, darkness and light right now. So the thief in the night idea, of course, is that you don't know when it's going to happen. Jesus uses the same type of phrase. He says if, if the uh, homeowner had known when the strong man was coming into the house, they'd have been there to stop it, but they didn't know. You, you just don't know. About the times and seasons, thief in the night. He's coming, but who knows when. You cannot anticipate it. You cannot expect it. But, verse 3, when they say, peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them, and they will not escape. They, them, they. The church knows this. The church even understands, the church in Thessalonica understands the, the they part. He's talking about those who would persecute the church, the very ones that changed him, uh, uh, chased him from Thessalonica to Berea. When they sent people to get him, when they, they tried to get rid of him, tried to kill him in, in Thessalonica and it didn't work out, then when he got away, well, we're going to track him down and do it somewhere else. They those persecutors, those who do not believe. They are the ones that should be uptight. They are the ones that should be concerned about when Jesus is coming back, about the times and seasons. And that is what we as believers should be concerned about. Not 
us, when's it going to happen? What are all the signs that it's going to happen? Who's the next Antichrist that turns out not to be the Antichrist? What's the next mark of the beast that turns out not to be the mark of the beast? How many of y'all are old enough to remember when credit cards were supposed to be the mark of the beast? How many of you are old enough to remember when, the, when your social security number was supposed to be the mark of the beast? Y'all ain't raising your hands because you don't want to admit it. But those were all, and, and then now it's, it's a next one, and then it's another one, and it always will be. And you know who's talking the most about it? Believers. When believers should be talking the most to the ones who should be the most uptight. Unbelievers. Those are the ones we should be concerned about. And, and we might say, well, Michael, because that's my name. Well, Michael, we're concerned about it so we can tell people about its coming. Uh uh-uh, uh, you're getting carts and horses in the wrong order here. Who cares when it's coming? Jesus said, I'm not going to tell you. Paul said, Times and seasons, who knows? Their concern is not that we know when, because what you going to do? If you figure out, oh, it's going to be in this year, well, now I'll start telling people about Jesus. Maybe if we know that we don't know, we'll start telling people about Jesus now. So that they're ready whenever it comes, like a thief in the night. And then therefore, they won't have to be uptight about it. Because we know it's coming. Don't know when, who cares? But let me tell you about the Jesus that's coming back. You're going to meet him someday. Wouldn't you like to meet him now? But these people... They, them, they, the persecutors, the the ones who aren't looking for the happy ending, they say peace and security. Now, it it was a few years ago, and I think maybe, I, I don't even remember now which peace accord, I think it was a Middle East peace accords, one of the many, they do them every couple of weeks it seems like. Um, where one of the leaders actually used the phrase peace and security. And apparently at some end times interpreter's house, the, the red light started flashing. Because suddenly all this social media, well back then I guess it was probably emails, all these emails started coming in about, he said peace and security, he said peace and security, therefore 1 Thessalonians is coming true, Jesus is coming back in a week or so, all hands on deck, all hands on deck. Why weren't all hands on deck before that moment? If we're a battleship not a cruise ship, we're all hands on deck. That's another sermon. All hands on deck. We're, 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 it's, it's happening, it's happening. Well, it didn't happen. Um, and, you know, peace and security are common words. But what we do need to focus on here, what we need to understand here, when, when they say peace and security, when the persecutors, when the unbelievers are saying peace and security, they are focusing on the wrong things. They think... The peace accord between two groups of people is finally going to fix the world. Finally, everything's going to be okay. 
Or we think that if we can get the right economic policies, if we can get taxes just right, either not too high or not too low or gone altogether or whatever your, your belief is, boy, if we could just get the economy right, everything would be fixed. Or if we could just get the right politicians into the right offices, finally we would be okay. We would have peace or security. If we could just get cultural success, whether that is influence in the culture or win the culture war or whatever it is today that we think we need to do in the culture, if we could just get that fixed, finally we would have peace and security. But economic security and political security and cultural success and comfort are no indicators of true peace and security. The world looks at those things and says, we need to get these things in line so that we can have peace and security. And the believers, the church looks at those things and says, if you get all of those things exactly what you want, you know what? You will have lost people that are going to screw it up and eventually die and go to hell anyway. The church looks at it and says, all those things aren't what matter. Those things, economic, political, cultural, success, and comfort, have no hold or influence over Christians. We can win every one of those battles, economic, political, and cultural, and we gain nothing if we are not seeing lost people come to Jesus. And if you think that we have to have a good economy, the right politicians, or win the culture war in order to share Jesus with people and see the lost come to know him for salvation, I've got a country called China to show you where the church is growing faster than any place in the world where they have neither economic success, political control, or cultural uh, wars won. And yet, the gospel is going out and saving people every day. So if we're focused on the wrong things, like they are, then yes, we will be the uptight ones. And Paul was not writing to make the church uptight. Paul was writing to make the church upright. The upright ones he talks about in verses 4 through 11. And he lays this out. And if you, if you don't believe that, I, that, that what he's saying here is times and seasons, meh, he devotes three verses as it's been divided to the times and seasons. But he gives no answers about the times and seasons other than thief in the night. It's going to happen, and, and you won't know it. And, and no, when they say peace and security, that does not mean suddenly it's going to happen. See, that's what we've used. That's what the, the alarms going off however many years ago meant. Oh, he said peace and security. That's the indicator. No. That's not an indicator because there's no indicator of when the thief is going to come in the middle of the night. That's clear. You don't know. That's not an indicator. What that is, is the people, they are putting their trust in the wrong things. 
They say peace and security because they don't know where true peace and security comes from. But you, the ones who are not uptight but are in, uh, uh, in, in increasingly focused on being more upright, you know, he says, verse 4. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark for this day to surprise you like a thief. Now, if we want to take that verse completely out of its context, and we can if we want to, I don't recommend it. We could say, but you, brothers, you won't be surprised. You know why? Because you're going to pour through Revelation and Daniel and Ezekiel and take some words here and take some words there, and you're going to know exactly the moment Jesus is coming back, so you won't be surprised. And you're going to do a lot of damage to a lot of Scripture and to the faith of a lot of believers. Or we can take this passage in its context. And we can see that verse 4 is telling us, you brothers and sisters are not in the dark for this day's surprise you like a thief. You know why? Because you have what you need. You have everything you need. You have salvation in Jesus. And so, this day won't surprise you. You know why? We've been expecting it. Ever since Jesus left and said, hey, I'm coming back. Remember the disciples in Acts chapter 1? Jesus says, all all power is given to me. Uh, uh, He tells them in Matthew, go therefore. And in in, um, Acts 1.8, it's... uh, to the ends of the earth, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the Samaria and the ends of the earth. Yeah, you will receive power. Thank you. That's how. It be- I just need the first word of the verse. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Go there for it. Yeah. So you know. And what did they do? What did the disciples do? They immediately packed their bags and went. Or, or. They stood there going. Getting awkward, right? And the angel had to come. Sup? Why are you standing here? You've been given a job to do. Go and wait when the Holy Spirit. Then, then you'll then you'll know. They had what they needed. They were uh, not in the dark about what they were supposed to do. They, they, they were standing there, I think, waiting. Well, he said he was coming back, right? Did he mean right now? And why is Paul having to answer these questions? Because they're, have we missed it? But we kind of had the idea that nobody would die before Jesus would come back and, and people are dying. Is this, is this okay? Is this how it's supposed to work? They, they, you, 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 we, 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 we wait. And we, we, we think he's, God, guys, he, he's been coming back for 2,000 years, okay? We have what we need, the promise that he's returning. So when Jesus comes back, how many Christians should be surprised? Zero. That, none of them. 
So the thief in the night analogy doesn't work for us because we, we've been expecting the thief. We've been waiting for the thief. We've been hoping for the thief. Come on, thief. As soon as you can get here, the sooner the better. You have what you need. You're not in the dark for this day to surprise you. Verse 5, for you are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. The night isn't our concern or focus. The night isn't what we should be worried about. We're children of the light, children of the day. In part, he's saying, he's reiterating verse uh, 4. You have what you need. You're a child of the light. You're not worried about the darkness. But he is also saying the darkness isn't concerned. We push back the darkness, but I'm mixing an analogy here. He is not talking about the darkness of lostness. He's saying we are not in the dark to what's going on. We're not children of the dark. We're not worried about all the things of the dark. We're not worried about who's the Antichrist and when's the Antichrist and what's the mark of the beast going to be and is it a thousand literal years or is it a figurative thousand years and is Jesus going to come back before the tribulation in the middle of the tribulation or after the tribulation? Is there really going to be a tribulation? He's not worried about all those things. Because that's not his focus. The night isn't our concern or focus. We are children of the light, and therefore we should be spreading the light. And, and when that's our only concern about the darkness, is the lostness, the darkness of the individual's soul. Otherwise, we're not worried about when in the night we are. And when, which night the thief is going to show up. That's not your concern. He goes on and he says in verse 6, To live life aware. So then, let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake and be self-controlled. Let us not sleep like the rest, right? He's continuing that night and day. Darkness and light comparison. Those that are in the night, those that should be uptight about it, and sadly aren't because they're focused on the wrong things, those that should be uptight about, uh, about it, they go to sleep and the thief is going to come in the middle of the night. We as believers, we're never asleep. We, we are always aware. Now Paul is not talking about actually going to bed at night. Please go to bed at night. Some of y'all get real grouchy if you don't. So get all of your sleep so we can put up with you the next day. He's not talking about literal sleep. He is telling them that we never spiritually sleep. We are never spiritually in the dark. We are always aware. We are always awake. Stay awake. Believers... Stay awake and do not sleep like the rest of them. Now I'm going to make a point here. And then I'm going to move on from the point. Because it's, it's something that I need to address in our culture. That I need to, you need, to be, you need to be aware. Currently in our political and cultural climate, the phrases woke, wokeness, and various derivations of that 
are all over the, the news from a particular side. And to some extent from another side, although not as much. In, in truth, people who think being woke and think wokeness is a good thing hardly ever use that anymore. It's, it's, it's from another side that, that says these are all bad things. Let me help you understand where initially that phrase, at least in the church, came from. Be woke. This passage, one in Ephesians, and one somewhere else that I can't come up with at the moment. It's slang. Be woke is slang for stay awake. Be woke originally in the church meant be aware and self-controlled. Be aware of what's going on in your church, in the church. Be aware of sinfulness in your own lives and in, other, uh, in your church's life. Be aware. Be awake. Stay awake. Modified to slang. Be woke. And then a number of groups, and, and it, that, that phrase may have had a beginning somewhere else, but then was used in the church, not in a way that it has been co-opted by politics, but in, a, uh, but in a way that was just to tell the church to stay awake. So I'm telling you, stay awake. Because we have to be awake and aware in order to be self-controlled. That's the point he is about to move into. If you're sleeping, which is what you do at night, or if you're getting drunk, which is what you do at night, we're going to get there in just a second, then you're neither aware nor self-controlled. And as a believer, you should be both. Live life aware. Now we begin to move into that transition. He says, let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake and be self-controlled. Verse 7, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. He has already made a, uh, presented the night as negative. So believers, you are not aware, you ain't woke, and you're not self-controlled. Y'all up in the stuff you shouldn't be in. If your focus is on the night. Believers, if we are focusing on the night, the, the, the night that the thief is coming, that's what he's talking about. Let's, let's keep this frame of reference in our heads. He is talking about that night when Jesus comes, when that thief comes. If we're so focused in, on that, or if we become like they are like them, and we are sleeping, we are uh, in the midst of, of the night focused on all the various ways that we think we should have peace and security or could have peace and security in our times. If that's our focus, we are not aware of the one way that we can bring peace and security to every life we come into contact with Jesus Christ. If we're not aware of that, then we're asleep. But also, if we are not living upright, if we are not living righteously, not self-controlled. So, back to his analogy, we sleep at night because we think we've got peace and security over here. But we also get drunk at night. And drunkenness, regardless of what you think about 
alcohol, whether it's sinful or not. Drunkenness is always sinful in the Bible. So he's saying you're not self-controlled. As a matter of fact, we can go back to where Paul writes in Ephesians. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Be self-controlled. Have control. Don't do these things. Instead, do this. It's that same idea here. Be aware and control yourself. Live upright. Be righteous. If we get those two things, we will be living life in a holy manner, and we will then have opportunity to share the message. Because we talked about who knows how many times, and it wasn't, I wasn't the first one to do it, and I won't be the last. But it's difficult to witness to somebody over your, during your sinfulness. Now, I'm not saying we have to be sinless in order to witness to people. I'm saying in the midst of your sin, in the midst of whatever it is, in this case, in the midst of a drunken stupor, it would be difficult to tell people, hey, you don't have to worry about the end, man. Jesus is coming back. Or, hey, loses some of its uh, oomph, right? You don't have to worry. Oh, you're over here. Be aware and be self-controlled. Live life holy. But he doesn't stop there. He could have. He could have said, you know, and that's it, but, but he doesn't. Verse 8, live life in hope. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled and put on the armor of faith and love and a helmet of the hope of salvation. So he's, he's making clear, you got your awareness twice, be self-controlled. And put on this armor of faith and love and a helmet of the hope of salvation. What is hope? Confident expectation. So we can live life in confident expectation of what? Of Jesus coming back like a thief in the night. Woohoo! When we don't expect it, Jesus is coming back. Yes! And I'm gonna go to be with him, right? Second floor elevator. First elevator, everybody's dead. Second, second floor, us. Whoop, and we're gone. We've got that confidence. So now he says, put that confidence on, baby. Notice that the armor that he uses here, this hope that he talks about, is all defensive armor. The armor, it would actually be breastplate of faith and love, and a helmet of the hope of salvation. Now, I know in other places he uses a more expanded uh, version of the armor, but we ain't talking about Ephesians. We're talking about Thessalonians. He tells this church right now to put on a breastplate and a helmet. You don't attack with a breastplate. That's not an offensive weapon. <laughs> Some of us are hard-headed enough that our heads are an offensive weapon, but that's not what he's... It's, it's defense, it is to stand against these peace and security people who would say that your hope, your peace, your security, that you just got to get everything that's right on earth, or get everything that's on earth just right, and then we'll have it. And he said, no, because it's never going to work. 
That's not my hope. That's not my confident expectation. My hope is the breastplate and the helmet and Jesus is coming back. That's my hope. I live life in hope because I'm aware and I'm self-controlled. Verse 9, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We live life aware, we live life holy, we live life in hope, and we live life in anticipation. Verse 9, we live life in anticipation. Because of our salvation, because of our confident expectation, we know that we are not appointed to wrath. We will not experience God's wrath. God's wrath is real. It will be poured out on sin and all who have lived in sin. Michael, I've lived in sin. Well, Michael has too. But the difference is I placed my faith in Jesus Christ who canceled the penalty, canceled the wrath, covered me so that I no longer experience God's wrath. It's the, uh, the blood on the doorposts of the Passover, the, the, the angel of death, God's wrath, passes over me and he sees not me, but the blood of Jesus. And the wrath passes over. If you like your movie analogies, it's the, the cloak, the, the elven cloak in the Lord of the Rings. That, that Frodo and the hobbits wore. They, they're hiding from the orcs or whoever they need to hide from. They cover themselves with that cloak and everybody passes over. The, the wrath that would come down on them if they were caught passes over them because they don't see the, the hobbit, they see the cloak. When the wrath of God shows up, and it will, he will not see me, he will see Jesus' blood on me. And that wrath will pass over. And we anticipate not wrath, because we're not appointed to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We live in anticipation of being with Jesus, being saved. I am saved, I am being saved, I will be saved. I was justified, I'm being sanctified, I will be glorified. Was saved, being saved, will be saved. That's every believer. Right now we're in the, the gap of being saved, being sanctified. But someday Jesus comes back and we get to anticipate that day. And it will be joyful. It will be a reunion. It will be what verses 13 through 18 of chapter 4 talked about. He was setting us up. It's going to be a great day, You're, that, that committee meeting in the air when y'all get together with Jesus. The good committee meeting. When y'all get together, you, you remember that? Anticipate that. Not all the signs and the, the what ifs and the maybes, but the fact that you get to be with Jesus. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10, who died for us. So that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. The saved are secure. Paul gets a little confusing here. Might be a little easier to see in Greek. But probably not. You just got to read carefully. Which you should be doing anyway. Your, your Bible reading shouldn't be... Oh, I read it, I'm good. But spending time in that scripture. 
Because now he's using sleep and awake in a way that he tells believers whether you're asleep or awake. Paul, you just told me not to go to sleep. Now you're telling me, well, if you're asleep, well, he just switched metaphors on us. And now he's talking about whether you're dead or alive. He's taking us back to verse 17 of chapter 4. The, the, the dead will rise first and, and then the living will join them in the air. Whether you're awake, I mean, whether you're asleep, dead, or awake, alive, it won't matter. When the thief comes in the middle of the night, which you are joyfully anticipating because you're not worried about this other stuff, which you are uh, uh, adjusting your life to, uh, to, to be like, to, to, to anticipate by being self-controlled, so that you share the gospel with others so they can be aware and have the same hope. While all that's going on and suddenly it happens, you are, throughout all that time period, secure. Whether you're awake or asleep. Because of Jesus who died for us. Paul even changes the pronoun here to be first person, plural, instead of uh, third person plural, so that whether we are awake or asleep, whether I'm awake or asleep, Paul says, it doesn't matter. We may live together with him. He uses may live there, might, maybe. Is that, doubt? Is that Paul doubting salvation? No, that's Paul understanding that it's conditional upon our faith. It's Paul understanding that when he writes this letter to the church in Thessalonica and someone stands up in front of the church on that Sunday morning or Sunday evening whenever they had church and, and reads it to them, that there will very likely, if the church is doing things they're supposed to be, there will be people who are there that are curious about the faith, that are uh, uh, children, uh, uh, friends, family members of believers who have come and might be hearing this message for the first time. Very similar, we would hope, to our congregation here any given Sunday morning. And he writes to them, we may live together. Paul knew that someone within earshot of this reading, someone this morning within earshot of this message, may not be, may not have a relationship with Jesus. Part of the them, uh, they, them, they of the unbelievers, not the you, we of believers outside the family of God, because they've never trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. The saved are secure. And if you've never trusted Jesus as Savior, right now you should be feeling an insecurity. I don't know. I don't know if I have that hope, that confident expectation. I'm, I'm, I'm uptight about what all this means and about... The, the end and, and wrath and, the, the, it's, it's, and we don't know when it's going to happen and, 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 and that should be a concern of yours. The beautiful, beautiful thing about the way we as Baptists preach and, and, and present messages on Sunday mornings especially is we always present the gospel. 
So you don't leave here this morning insecure, with faith in, in, in the wrong places, no hope, no anticipation of anything but wrath. You leave here this morning, if you will, with full knowledge of your salvation in Jesus Christ. If you will just repent of your sins, admit that you're a sinner, believe that Jesus is all you need to experience that salvation, and choose to follow him. And then you can become part of the secure saved. Lastly, Paul says in verse 11, let me point out one more thing in verse 10. He, uh, Paul said, also says in verse 17, echoes something in verse 10 here. We may live together with him, with Jesus. Verse 17, he said, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. Do not miss, and I've said it enough times, you shouldn't. Do not miss that Paul is wanting people to know that they will be together with the Lord. Church, is that our biggest concern? That people will know that they will be together with the Lord someday. Or is our biggest concern economics, politics, the culture, darkness, being asleep? But instead, are we awake? Lastly, he says, verse 11, to disciple each other. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. The two imperatives in this section. Encourage one another, which is exactly what he said in verse 18, and build each other up as you're already doing. So not just encourage, encourage, go boy, good job, learn this, but build each other up. That's the discipleship. That is us sharpening each other, iron sharpening iron. Y'all, we're, we're sheep. And, 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 and the sheep left on their own will begin to scatter. Thank you. Heard a kid, thought somebody said scatter over there. And, and there are shepherds. There are uh, sheep dogs in some places, but we'll, we'll call them shepherds too. That help to, to steer them. But, but there's also... They're also leaders of the, 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 the herd. There, there's the, 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 the mother that keeps her lamb with her. And, and they are teaching. This is how things are. You don't want to mess with that shepherd. He's a jerk. But he's just doing it to keep us here. I, I get that. But he, he nips your heels. Get over here. The sheep disciple each other. And they don't, you know... It, I get it, y'all. In real life, the sheep aren't going. Now, what did you learn today in herd class? Did you? I talk. Stick with me. Paul says, encourage one another. We don't have to worry. We don't have to worry about the end. We are secure. That's encouragement. Yay. But why? Build each other up. Explain to each other. Tell each other. Because we are aren't asleep. We're awake. We're aware. 
but, but I want to veer over here and this is my, no, come back. Those things will not satisfy you. Those things will not bring peace and security. The only thing that will bring peace and security is your breastplate of faith, right? The armor of faith and love and that helmet of the hope of salvation. That's the only thing that will bring you peace and security. Paul says, disciple each other. And sometimes that will mean bringing someone who is uptight over to the upright. And they may be uptight because they're a believer, they're a sheep that has wandered down this path and and they have watched a lot of YouTube videos. And they are convinced about some certain things and we have to bring those back, build them up back into the upright and away from the uptight. And then, of course, if we're making disciples, not just discipling one another, there will be the they, them, they, of those whose complete trust is in peace and security of other things. And we need to tell them, I need to tell you, that that's not where your peace and security comes from. Your peace and security come from Jesus. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. Wrath. That's that's what's going to happen. The wages are God's wrath. And and that's what we will experience outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it is what we deserve because of our sin. The wages of sin is death. But God did not leave that there. He he wants us to be able to put on the the, the helmet of the hope of salvation. Well, how in the world do we get the helmet of the hope of salvation? It's a gift of God. Eternal life. The the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And if we just stopped there, then we'd have what we call universalism. And every one of you, every one of everybody gets to go to heaven because the gift of God is eternal life. It is a free gift and it is available to all. Yay, we all get to go to heaven, but the verse doesn't stop there. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this verse doesn't expand on it. There are other verses in the book of Romans that do, and then the number of verses other places. We must accept that salvation. We must place our faith in Jesus Christ. We must believe, as I talked about last week with the thief on the cross next to Jesus, we have to in some way, in some form, say, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That was that thief placing faith that Jesus would do it for him. John tells us to believe, repent of our sins and believe. Acts, in in Peter's sermon in chapter 2, repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ. This morning, will you repent of your sins and believe so that you can have the helmet of the hope of salvation, so that you can be woke When it comes to the things of Jesus, can you, will you trust Jesus Christ so that you can live with the security of knowing that we will live together with him? 
You can do that this morning by placing your faith in him. Pray with me. Father, thank you that you save. Thank you that you did not send writers of your scripture to then confuse us and cause us fear, but to give us hope and security. God, I pray this morning that someone who does not have the security of knowing what's coming, a confident expectation, has no hope that their end will be good, Lord, I pray that they would trust Jesus as their Savior. Like the thief, say, Lord Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Or if they want to get in a little more detail, just pray to you right now. Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I confess that sinfulness to you. I know that I can do nothing to earn salvation from you. It is a gift that you have given me. But upon my faith in Jesus Christ, I place my faith in him. I believe that his death, burial, and resurrection, his blood applied to me, is all I need for my salvation. And I'm forgiven. And you see not a child of wrath deserving of hell, but you see the blood of Jesus Christ, a payment and a covering for that sin to protect me from that wrath. Or something like that. Lord, I pray someone would pray that today. And they would experience the security of salvation. I pray that we as believers would leave this place not fretting and worried and fearful and debating about how it's going to all work out and what happens and all these things. Great, maybe some fun conversations, but Lord, if that is our focus and if that is our fear, we are hearing your scripture wrong. May we live, leave here today with hope. And thankfulness that we look forward to that thief coming in the middle of the night. While we sleep comfortably in our beds or comfortably in our graves, we will be with you one day. Thank you for that confidence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning, maybe you do need to make that decision. I'll be up here at the front. Amy will be over here to my left. We'll have some men in the back. Uh, Lee and Kirk would love to talk to you about how you can experience salvation if you want some, need some more answers on that. Maybe you need to place your faith, not in Christ this morning. You've placed your faith in Christ, but you're way distracted by those things that think can bring you peace and security. Maybe you need to give those back to him this morning. We're going to have a time where we sing and we hear the Lord. Maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe you want to uh, submit some things to him. Maybe you want to join our church and just make that public today. That is, we'd love to do that for you as well. You can share that decision with us on a connection card. You can share uh, online. If you're watching online, send us an email to the church, however you need to do it. Let us pray for you. Let us know. But most importantly, in these next few minutes, worship Hear from God and obey him for whatever next step you need to take. Let's stand and let's sing as he does business in our hearts.